Well, let me see a show of hands. Let me see your hands if you like to sing out loud in the car to the music that your car is playing. All right, let me see a show of hands. All right, point to the person that does it if it's not you. If it's not you, then point to the person maybe that sings out loud, likes to sing out loud in the car. Okay, what, what happens when you're singing out loud in the car to the song you love and then a part comes up where you don't know the words? Do you stop singing? No, you don't stop singing. You just go, you know, I mean, whatever. You, you just kind of keep humming along, you know, acting like you know the words to the song, even when you, you don't know the words. A couple of weeks ago, uh, some friends of ours, the, the Schaffners that go to our church, they, they turned 40 and invited us to uh, their old people party. I'm just kidding. We're, I'm, I'm right there myself. But we, so we went and uh, they did, they had a silent disco. So you put these headphones on and you listen to music, but there's no like live music playing. It's only coming through the headphones. And so everyone's got the headphones on and everyone's uh, dancing and, and, and singing. And when you take the headphones off, you can hear kind of people around you singing the words very loudly because they don't really understand how loud they're singing. And you can hear all the words they're, they're getting wrong. And at one point, we're listening to, uh, this, is how, this is how we do it, right? And um, I, I'm, I'm singing along with the song and uh, Jen Colley, one of our, our, our friends, takes off her headphones and she hears me belt out, this is how we do it. And she dies laughing. Like she's on the ground. She is laughing and she is crying so hard. She's laughing. And I don't know why, because I've got a beautiful singing voice. Like made no sense to me. I'm thinking, I, I'm, I, you know, I'm singing pretty well. This should be impressive, not funny. Right. And so, uh, we, we had a great time though, but I, but I know some of you might think, you know, my wife Darby, L listen to me. Okay. If you haven't heard my wife rap, then, then you don't really know my wife Darby. My, my wife can rap some gangster's paradise like nobody else. Okay. I, I mean, you haven't really experienced rap until you've heard a dainty suburban white woman rapping with a handgun or you and your homies might be lined in the chalk, okay? If you hadn't seen that, if you hadn't heard that, then you haven't really experienced rap. My, my, my wife can rap with the best of them, all right? But why do, why do we do that? Why do we sing out loud? Why do we sing? A, a lot of times it's because we're happy, uh, maybe because we're having fun, uh, maybe because you just got dumped and you're like ugly crying and you're just singing your way through your pain in the song, right? And you're just, you're just ugly crying, right? And so, so you're singing. We, we see a lot of songs in the Bible. Moses belts out in song after God rescues him and the children of Israel from slavery from the Egyptians and then rescues them on the other side of the sea, uh, the, the Red Sea when he judges all of the Egyptian troops. And Moses is overwhelmed and he belts out in song. Hannah, we read about in the Old Testament, praying for a child, had, was barren, could not have a child. She's praying, she's crying out to the Lord. She's crying in prayer, sobbing, asking the Lord for a child. God hears her prayer, gives her a child and she breaks out in song. She's worshiping God. We read the Psalms and many of the Psalms are songs. They're scripture for us, but they were songs that were to music that, that people would sing, that Israel would sing. Today, you're gonna to see another song. We're gonna read about another song uh, that is belted out in praise in worship today in Luke chapter one. So turn with me, Luke chapter one. We're gonna look at verse 39 through 56. These verses are called the Magnificat. It's Latin for the first words in the song of Mary, where she says, my soul magnifies and praises the Lord. So turn with me there. Luke chapter one will be in verse 39. I'm gonna be reading from the ESV translation today. I just like the wording here a little bit better than what I normally preach from the NLT. So I'll be in ESV today. The verses will be on the screen. Also, this is a great time to open our app, the City Church Lubbock, click message notes, and the verses and the points and everything will be there. If you don't have our app, download it now in your app store, the City Church Love It. While you're doing that, while you're getting to the app and the message notes and turning in your Bible to Luke chapter one, um, I just wanna give you a behind the scenes look kind of again at, at, at why we are studying the scripture verse by verse, uh, just broadly speaking, why we do that as a church and then kind of secondarily why we're doing that with, with Luke right now. So, so broadly speaking, uh, let, let me kind of share something with you I learned in the last week. There were some studies done about the people group in our country called evangelicals. 
and they asked evangelicals about what they believe, believing that these people would be Christians because they're self-identifying or professing themselves to be evangelical. They asked them some questions about what they believe. And so they asked him things about like the Bible. Is the Bible God's word? Is Jesus God's son? Is there only one way to heaven? All these different questions about biblical theology and biblical doctrine. And, and here's what they found. That most people or more people, more evangelicals than not, do not believe basic Christian theology and doctrine. They don't. And so here's what some of the, the authors and some of the, the, the pollsters were saying about this poll, that evangelical, this group of people in our country has become a political action group more than it is a spiritual or religious group. Now you can debate whether that's true or not. I'm not here to debate that. Here's what I'm saying. The, the mere thought of that is embarrassing. It's absolutely embarrassing. That evangelical has become a political action group and not a spiritual or religious way of thinking anymore. You see, many Christians in our society, in our culture have lost complete tether to the scripture and no longer believe basic, we're talking basic Christian doctrine and theology. Following maybe their feelings or following maybe what society, what culture is teaching or what their political identity kind of believes instead of believing what the scripture says. And so in our society today, especially, I'll just be honest and real, I think our younger generations, we, we have a meme understanding of the scripture, a meme understanding of Christianity, not the scripture's understanding of Christianity. And so what we know about God, about the Bible, about Jesus is very, very shallow. It's like one-liners and it's little quotes from devotional books that have more about, that say more about us than they do about God. And so our understanding of scripture is very, very shallow. And so as I've seen this to be the case over the years, and I've seen whether it's conservatives lose all tether to Jesus's compassion or liberals lose all tether to the truth of scripture. I'm saying, I'm seeing this. I'm saying, we don't know the scripture. And so we, we've got to learn it. We've got to understand it. We, we need a deep understanding of the scripture because a meme understanding of the scripture or your, your political party's understanding or, or, or application of the scripture just isn't going to cut it. We're gonna to continue to lose ground in our country. We're gonna to continue to turn away from the Lord when the storm hits because we just don't know the scripture. And so we teach the scripture here. We have over the last year, verse by verse. We started in Daniel, uh, then we did the book of Colossians. Now we're studying the gospel of Luke, verse by verse. And here's my hope, specifically with Luke, here's, here's my hope, is that as we study the life, teachings, ministry, death and resurrection of Jesus, that the conservative will be drawn more towards the heart of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus, and the liberal will be drawn more towards the truth that comes from Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other truth, I'm the truth. And we will be drawn not to the center politically, hear, hear me, we will be drawn to Jesus and to his heart. And, and that's my hope, that's my prayer, as we go verse by verse through the gospel of Luke, and that it would be true of us that we are, we're disciples. We're not left leaners, we're not right leaners, we're, we're disciples of Jesus. In Acts chapter 19, there's some pretenders who are trying to cast out some demons. And the demons say to these pretenders, who are you? We know Jesus and we know Paul, but we don't know you. And I, I think that could be said of Christians in our society and our culture today. Like we know Jesus and we know Paul, but who are you? You don't know the scripture. You don't really know the gospel. Has it really affected your heart? Who are you? And thus the reason why we've lost so much ground in our culture today, why Christianity has lost so much ground in our society, in our country today. So let's study the scripture. Let's hear from God this morning and allow him to transform us 
transform what we think and transform our hearts and the way that we feel. Verse 39, Luke chapter one, verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. This is her her family. She has learned that she is pregnant. Remember last week through the power of the Holy Spirit that the son that she's going to have is going to be the son of the Most High. He's going to be a a son of God and a son of David. They're from their families from the line of David. So he's the son of God. He's the son of man. We talked about that last week. And so Mary rightfully is overwhelmed by this and knowing that Joseph might not believe her, her husband, uh, that she's pregnant, but it's not his, it's not anybody else's, this is God's doing. And she knows that society's not gonna really understand her, but she knows that her, uh, a family, uh, her family, her distant relative, Elizabeth is pregnant in her old age by the power of God. And, and so w- w- what do you do when you think, no one understands you or is going to get you. You, you. you go to someone and you reach out to someone who you think might understand you and might get you and can empathize with your situation, right? And so that's what Mary is doing here. She's going to Elizabeth, whom she believes will get her and will understand what she's going through. It's like if you're Clark Kent, what do you do, right? Who are you friends with? Well, you're probably gonna go try to be friends with Bruce Wayne, with Batman, right? because he's going to get you and you're going to form the Avengers. Okay. I'm joking. I'm joking. I know it's the justice league. Okay. I know some of you are panicking right now. Like he doesn't know who the justice league and he doesn't think he's got it all. No, I get it. I don't know a lot. Okay. But I know, you know that. And I know just enough to make some of you a little frustrated by that. Okay. So, so Clark Kent teams up with Batman and other people like him. Why? Because they know, like they get it. They, they, they share some of the same qualities. They, they, they understand each other, all right? So that's what Mary's doing here with Elizabeth. Verse 41, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth, watch this, was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry. Some translations say, maybe yours does. I think the New Living Translation say with that loud, happy cry. She's, she's happy crying. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord, the mother of my Lord should come to me for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. You ever seen a baby moving in a womb guys? Like you actually can see it and then you can touch it and feel it. And you're like, that's pretty weird. It's like something out of aliens. This thing's about to bust out, right? Okay. You know, ladies, I know you know what she's talking about here. You know, just even the normal movement has got to be weird. This baby leaps is what the scripture says. So I know, you know, ladies, some of you know, like she felt this, right? She, she felt something, something just happened, okay? Something just happened. This baby leapt inside of her for joy. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth and John the Baptist, this is the baby inside of her womb. We learned last week he was filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. We've just learned that Elizabeth in verse 41 is filled with the Holy Spirit. So through the power of the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth and John the Baptist both recognize without being told the presence of their Lord Jesus Christ. They both recognize it. And Elizabeth makes this confession. Who, Who is this? Why has it been granted to me that the mother of my Lord, it's the same word that's used for God all throughout the gospel of Luke. Here's what Elizabeth is confessing in this moment. This baby, your baby, Mary, maybe Mary, your baby is God. The mother of my Lord, God. It's the same word used for God. So, so check this out, watch this. Jesus is only days conceived at this point. Conceived. We're days away from conception and Jesus is not only recognized as a person, but as God in the flesh. Baby recognizes baby in the womb, 
prenatal, right? You know how they say game recognizes game, okay? John the Baptist, the spirit in John the Baptist, even as a baby inside the womb, recognizes the spirit of Jesus in the womb, prenatal. Life recognizes life, person recognizes person. Jesus recognized as God, prenatal. This is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit moves in works and people to show them Jesus, to draw them closer to Jesus, to love Jesus, to worship Jesus, to, to honor Jesus. It, it should also be noted here that Elizabeth, having received a blessing from God in her old age, recognizes that Mary has actually received a greater blessing and in humility recognizes that there's something bigger than even what's going on with her and her own baby going on here. This is God coming in the flesh. And so she recognizes that Mary has the greater blessing. She has the humility to say, what's going on with me is not just about me, it's bigger than me, but what's going on with you is even a bigger deal. And it has so much more, it's so much greater than what's going on with us. John the Baptist later would have some of his disciples, his followers kind of turn away from him and begin to follow Jesus. And when asked about this, John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. That's what the Holy Spirit does in us. It, it, it says, it's not about you, it's about him. It, it's not about just what's going on in your world, it's about Jesus and it's about his glory. This is what the Holy Spirit does. Did it in John the Baptist, is doing it right now in Elizabeth. You've got this greater blessing. It's all about Jesus. Let's keep going. Verse 45. And blessed, Elizabeth says, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Elizabeth says, blessing comes from believing. Now notice this, not just believing in what has happened, like what's already happened with their, with their babies, right? She says this, look what she says in verse 45. Believe that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This isn't just speaking of the baby of Jesus. This is also speaking of what's going to happen, like what this baby is going to do, what God is going to do through his son. In the following song that we're about to read, most of the verbs that Mary speaks in are what are called the future aorist tense. The future aorist tense. This is a Greek verb. And, and what that means is, is that the things that are about to happen are as certain. The way she's speaking of them, they're about to happen, but they are as certain. Mary is, is saying the things that are about to happen are as certain as a past event. That's how certain they are. It's like they're good, they're, they're as good as done. And that's what Elizabeth is saying. You, you've not only believed what God has done, but you're believing the word of the Lord about what he's going to do and the way Mary speaks of what the Lord is going to do is certain. It's she, she's as certain of it as if it would already have happened. Elizabeth says, when you believe, you're blessed. And in the following song, I want you to see what, what Mary's belief produces in her. Like she's believing the word of the Lord. She's believing the, the gospel about what God is going to do, not just has done, but what God is going to do through his son. She's believing it. And so then I want you to see what this belief produces inside of her. Verse 46, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. That's why it's called the Magnificat. This is Latin for my soul magnifies the Lord. Verse 47, and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he looked on the humble estate of his servant. And for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things 
And the rich, he is sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned home. So this believing of the word of the Lord, this believing of the gospel produces some things in in Mary. And I just want to break down this song and just kind of show you what what Mary is processing and thinking and and feeling right now and and, and what this says about her and what it says about uh, the the Lord. So, So number one, believing changes your boasting. Believing will always change your boasting. What, what, when you believe the gospel, when you believe the, the word of the Lord, it's going to change what you brag about, what you're excited about, what you boast in. You could call this what you adore. This is adoration. That's what Mary's doing here. She's adoring the Lord, her God. This is an outburst of praise and worship. You see, whether you realize it or not, you were created to worship. That's the way you were designed. That's the way your designer, that's the way your creator, uh, creator created you and designed you from the inside out. He designed you to worship. So watch this. You are a worshiper. Every one of you are. And that's true whether you know Jesus or follow Jesus or not, because that's the way that God designed you. You are a worshiper. The only question is what or who are you worshiping? You are a worshiper, make no mistake. The question is what or who are you worshiping? Do you adore? What or who you worship will determine the outcome of your life. What what or who you worship will determine whether you flourish in this life or whether your life is ruined and destroyed. All based on what or who you worship. Mary says, my soul praises the Lord. It's like she can't help it. She's believed the gospel. She has the Holy Spirit inside of her. And so now she believes it. And so she becomes a worshiper and she says, my soul praises the Lord. Uh, It's like, I can't even help it. And, And so I'm praising and I'm praising the Lord. That's the object of her worship. So she's worshiping who she was designed to worship. She's saying, my soul is praising the Lord and this is good and right because it's who I was designed to worship. Years ago, after a night of Raider Church, that was our college ministry we had years ago that Mark and I and several others from our staff used to lead. We'd had over a thousand college students join us on Tuesday nights and um, we would uh, worship and have a message and we had groups and everything. And, and, and that out of kind of Raider church is what led eventually to us planning uh, this church. But, but one night, I'll, I'll never forget, one, one student uh, told me and, and wrote me later in an email and just said, hey, um, I, I gave my life to Christ this week. And um, I was like, man, that's awesome. And I was trying to kind of figure out what led to it and come to find out it was like, it had nothing to do with me. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't when I was preaching, it was, had nothing to do with anything I said. He, he said, we were, we were worshiping, we were singing. And he said, in that moment, when we were worshiping, when we were singing, he said that God just spoke to me and said, this is why you're here. Like, this is the purpose for which you were created was to worship me. You've been living for all these other things. You've been living for your fraternity and getting wasted on the weekends and, and for sleeping around and for girls and all these things. You, you've been living for those things. You've been adoring all of those things, but that's not why you're on this planet. You're on this planet to worship me. And he said, it was in that moment, it was like the, the spirit of God not only revealed that to him, but changed his heart and gave him a desire for that. And he said that I realized that's why I'm on this planet. It's why I exist. It's to worship him. And that guy's been loving and following Jesus ever since because he realized the reason he's on this planet and it's to worship God. It's Colossians chapter one. All things were made by him, Jesus, and for him, Jesus. Everything exists for him. And when you figure that out, and when you experience that and realize that's why I'm here, It's then that you begin to experience the peace and the fulfillment and the satisfaction that God wants you to have in this life. Mary worships, first of all, in spirit. She worships in spirit. 
This is not ritualistic. This isn't routine. This isn't some religious checkbox. This isn't the intellectual ascent to certain facts. She's worshiping from her spirit. She says, my soul praises, my spirit rejoices. It's talking about this internal heart, intense, passionate worship that is coming from the depths of her. This isn't some religious routine. This is deep, heartfelt spirit worship. She says, my soul praises, my spirit rejoices. Uh, the, the verbs here again are continual in nature. She, she, she's saying, this is what my soul does now. This is, this is what my, my spirit does is it worships and praises the Lord. There's this continual nature to her worship. She worships the Lord in spirit. Secondly, she worships the Lord in truth. She worships the Lord in truth. She says about God, she's boasting about God. She's adoring God saying, you are my savior. You saved me, you rescued me. And so I'm going to boast in the gospel that you are my savior. Paul said, may I never boast except for in the cross of Christ. There's no other reason to boast, Paul said. Paul was a super religious person. He, he had every reason to, to, to boast, but Paul said, I'm never gonna boast in anything except for the cross of Christ. I've got nothing else to boast about. Why, why else, what, what else would I have to boast in? Myself? My righteous deeds are like filthy rags compared to the holiness and righteousness of God. What, what, what would I boast in, my, my stuff? Why would I boast in that? It's worthless. I'm gonna boast in the cross of Christ, Paul said. Mary says, you are the mighty one, God, saying that he is powerful, that this is a God who does impossible things, that nothing is too hard for you. She says about God, God, you are holy. You are perfect and without sin. She says, you have scattered the proud. You've brought down the princes and you've sent the rich away. She's talking here about the justice of God. She's saying, God, you are just and you will bring justice to evil. You will punish the wrongdoer. You, would, you will put an end to evil and suffering. Now, remember, she, she's claiming this as if it's already happened, that's how sure she is that God is going to put an end to evil and suffering. She talks about it as if it's already happened. Many people wonder when they consider Christianity, when they consider the existence of God, the sovereignty of God, well, if God is so good and so perfect and so powerful, then why doesn't he put an end to evil and suffering? And Mary is, is saying he will, he's going to. He's gonna make all the wrongs right. That one day there is, there's gonna be no more evil, pain, suffering, sin, sickness, disease. All these things are gonna be gone forever. And, and Mary's saying one, one day he's going to. The, the scripture says he's being patient for now not wanting anyone to perish, but for as many people as possible to come to faith in Jesus. So that's why it hasn't happened yet. But make no mistake, Mary is saying it's going to happen and it's a sure fact. She's speaking of it as if it's a past event. It's going to happen. And that longing in your heart for no more evil and suffering, that longing in your heart, in every person's heart for justice, that day is coming, Mary says. That day, that day is coming. Our God is just. She says, God, you are faithful. You've remembered your covenants to Abraham, to our fathers, and to their offspring. It's said that Mary quotes from the Old Testament over 15 times in this one little song. Mary knows the word of God. She knows the scripture backwards and forwards. And so it enables her to worship God in truth. She knows what she's talking about. She knows the, the truth from God's word. Now, like any young girl, she's probably about 13 years old at this point in her life. Like any young girl, like any family, like in, in this day, she probably had no personal copy of the scriptures. So how does she know the word of God so well that she can quote it verbatim 
in this song from her spirit and from her heart. How is that possible if she's got no copy of the scripture of the Old Testament? Well, it's probably because she's been attending the synagogue regularly, faithfully committed to attending the synagogue with her family and hearing the reading of scripture. And she's been so committed to it. She's been so faithful to join in together. I hope you're catching this. She's been so faithful to join in together with her covenant community to hear the word of the Lord that it's been ingrained in her heart and it's become a part of who, who she is. It's in her soul now. Did, did you know that the, the studies have said about uh, Christians over the last year, like kind of, I, I know we're not like out of COVID, but I, I'm just saying like, but, but since COVID has hit, uh, that even since kind of people have kind of started going back to church and things like that, that, that now, that now Christians used to attend church about 2.5 times a month. That, that was the, the stat for American Christians. Now it's one time a month. That's the average. 25%. I don't think you're going to get this in 25%. It's just not happening. You're not going to have a deep knowledge of the scripture with 25%. It's just not going to cut it. I'm just being honest with you. Mary's knowledge of the word has come from a deep commitment to her covenant community where she's hearing the, the reading of the word of God and where she's hearing it taught and it's become a part of who she is so much so watch this that she is saying what's about to happen in the new testament what's about to become true in the new covenant through the son through god's son jesus is a continuation of what god was doing in the old testament and through the old covenant now and i don't want you to miss this because mary has a deep knowledge of the scripture she recognizes that everything that Jesus is about to do in the New Testament and everything that's about to come to fruition in the new covenant is just a continuation and fulfillment of everything that God was already doing in the old covenant and in the Old Testament. That they're one and the same, in other words. This is one story. Because Mary has a deep knowledge of the scripture, she gets that. Now, now let me ask you this. Have you ever been in the place or maybe heard this that where you, you read the Old Testament and you read the New Testament and you're like, man, this seems like two different gods here. Like, I'm not, it doesn't really seem like Jesus kind of lines up with the God of the Old Testament. Like what's going on here? You may have thought that before. I, I, I know I, I did at one point. Maybe you've heard that before. Like these seem like two different gods. How is, how is that? How is that? Like what's going on here? Because Mary has a deep knowledge of the scripture, she understands, she sees it, she gets it. So, so let, me just, let me just say something to you real quick. If that's you, if that's ever been you, and maybe it's kind of jaded you or you haven't really understood, maybe you're still there now. Uh, maybe you've got a family member, a friend, coworker, neighbor that's kind of, kind of in that space or in that place. Here, here's what I would invite you uh, to consider and here's what I would invite you to invite them to consider. It's that you, you need to keep reading. You need to keep studying. Because those who have a deep knowledge of the scripture, not just a meme understanding of the scripture, not just cute ideas and statements that we get from these devotionals that we read. When you've got a deep knowledge of the scripture, you understand, you begin to see it, you get it. There, there's one story here, this is the same God. And you begin to see that Jesus isn't just this loving, tolerant, accepting, inclusive God. He's also the holy, and righteous and intolerant God we read about in the Old Testament. And, and, and you see that in, in John chapter three so clearly when Jesus says, I, I didn't come to condemn the world, I came to save the world. And you're like, there he is, there's the Jesus I know, non-judgmental, inclusive and tolerant. But if you keep reading, Jesus goes on to say, I didn't come to condemn you, I came to save you because you stand condemned already before God because of your sin. Oh, there he is, there's the Old Testament God. You stand condemned already. Or Jesus telling the, the woman caught in adultery, go and leave your life of sin. See, 
It's one story, it's one God. And the more you study and understand the scripture, like, like Mary did, the, the more you get it, like you, you begin to realize. And this is, I'm not, I'm not trying to say this as a knock or as a cut down. I'm just saying, I'm just inviting you and I'm challenging you, keep reading, keep studying. Because the deeper you go with the scripture, the more you begin to understand. No, this is one story. This is one God. And, and everything that we read about in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, is really just a, a fulfillment of and a continuation of everything that God was already doing. Mary knows the word of the Lord. Jesus said that it's out of the overflow of your heart that your mouth speaks. Mary's heart is overflowing with the word of God. It's why when she sings this prayer to God, it's just flooded with truth from the Old Testament. It's because she knows it, it's in her heart. So, so believing, number one, changes what you, what you boast about. And, and Mary just burst out with this worship, this praise to God and boast in who God is. Secondly, believing changes your thinking. It changes what you think. It changes how you, how you think in several different ways. First of all, uh, believing changes the way you think about God and the way you think about yourself. You, you see, there's, there's two kinds of ways of viewing man and viewing God. There's a self-centered, man-centered way that, that's, that's, that's pride, that's, that's arrogance, that's very proud way of, of thinking. And then there's a humble, we, we read this in, in Mary's song, there's kind of a humble, God-centered way of thinking. Okay, And when you believe the gospel, what the Holy Spirit begins to do in you is it begins to transform your thinking from a very proud and arrogant, man-centered, self-centered way of thinking to a very humble, God-centered way of thinking. L let me show you what I'm talking about. Mary says about God, you are holy and you have mercy for those who fear you. The scripture says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And, and Mary says, you have mercy for those who fear you, for those who realize that you are holy and they aren't. That, that's who you have mercy for. Those who humble themselves and say, God, you're holy and perfect and righteous. I am not, I am unholy, I am a sinner and I do not deserve to be in your presence. I, I do not deserve your, your blessing in my life. I do not deserve for you to rescue me from my sin. No, I, I deserve the just penalty and fine for my sin, which is eternity separated from you in a place called hell. Mary says there's mercy for those who fear God. And so she says about God, you are holy. And so now I need you to save me. She says, God, you are my savior. Why do I need to be saved? What do I need to be saved from? I, I need to be saved because God's holy and I'm not. And there's wrath from God for my sin. And so I need to be saved. I need to be rescued from the wrath of God for my sin. The wages of sin is death. There's a fine to be paid for your sin. And so Mary says, you're holy. I'm not. You have saved me. Mary here recognizes her deep need for the gospel. She recognizes that I am a sinner just like everyone else and I need you to come and rescue me. There's an old hymn that says, when on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. My burden gladly bearing, he bled and died on that cross to take away my sin. Mary is confessing her need of the gospel for God to take away her sin because he's holy and I'm not. And so I need a savior. You, you see how that's a different way of thinking than the world kind of tells us to think. It's very different, right? God, you're holy. I'm not. There's wrath from you for my sin because you're holy and righteous and just. And if you don't save me, then I'm going to be punished forever for breaking your law. And so I need you to save me. You're my savior. You've rescued me from my sin and from the penalty of my sin. 
Mary understands who she is. She understands who God is. So, so, so make no mistake, Mary isn't the queen of heaven. She is not someone we can pray to, to help forgive our sin. She doesn't help us in salvation in any respect, in any regard. Mary needed the gospel just like you and just like me. Paul said about Jesus, there's only one mediator between us and God and it's the God man, Jesus Christ. There's one mediator. There is no other mediator between us and God. There's no pastor, there's no priest, there's no saint. Jesus is the one mediator between us and God. Every other person that's ever lived on this planet has been in need of a savior because God is holy and we are not. So, so it changes the way that you, you think about yourself and it, the, the way you think about God. She says, God, you're mighty. Huh? You're strong. I'm a lowly servant. I'm weak, but, but God, you noticed me and, and you saw me. Do, do you see the humility here? That the fact, God, that you would even recognize me, that you would even hear from me is crazy because you are so mighty and strong and I'm so weak and lowly. And here's what she says about the proud. They're, they're proud, she says, in the thoughts of their heart. This is literally in your imagination. You're, you're proud of yourself and what you have to offer and what you can do in your imagination. It's like in your cute imaginary world, you are actually something and you actually have something to offer and can give something to God in your cute imaginary world that does not exist. She says, the reality is, God, you're holy, I'm not. You're mighty and powerful, I am weak. And so the very fact that you would listen to me, that you would see me, that you would notice me and then rescue me from my sin is absolutely mind blowing. It's, it's astonishing. You see the way that she thinks about God and the way that she rightly thinks about Herself, it, the, believing changes the way you think about others. In verse 50, the, the song kind of goes from talking about herself to talking about other people and what, how about what God is about to do is going to affect her covenant community. It's not just about her, it's about the covenant community. It's about the people of God. It's not just about me. So, so it changes the way you think of others. It, you you kind of go from selfish to selfless. And then, and then finally, this, in this song, we realize that believing the gospel changes the way you think about what the world values and about what will ultimately satisfy you. Here, here's what she says. God is a God who fills the hungry, yet sends the rich away with empty hands. God, you fill the hungry and you send the rich away with empty hands. Isn't that interesting? Scholars have noted that in this song, there's this revolutionary note about filling the hungry and sending the rich away empty. You see, in the ancient world, it was accepted that the rich would be well cared for and that poor people must expect to be hungry. But Mary sings a song of God who turns the orders and values of society upside down. God fills the hungry. And he sends away the rich. Clearly, Luke saw in Jesus this coming of a great reversal of the world's value system. That with Jesus' coming, the humble, poor, and outcasts would become first. They are hungry because they are hungry. Whereas the proud and arrogant are left out because they aren't hungry. Let me ask you, are you hungry? Like every one of you, are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Or have you gotten so comfortable with the material things in this world, you've become maybe indifferent spiritually? You see, that's, that's the, the danger, hear me, of being the richest people who've ever lived in the entire history of this planet. You might be thinking, oh, Clayton, that's not me. I'm not the rich person. No, 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 no. If you go online right now, there's, there's 
calculators that can, you can put in your annual income and it will tell you where you rank in the global rich list. And if you have a house and a car and you eat three meals a day, you fall in the top 1% of the richest people in the entire world. You fall in the top 0.1% of the people, of the richest people who've ever lived on the face of the planet in all of history. You see, this is the danger though of being in the top 1%. And my guess is that probably 99% of the people in this room are in the top 1% of the richest people in the face of the planet and in the top 0.1% of the richest people who've ever lived on the face of the planet, that means, guys, that means we have a tendency to get kind of comfortable and not really need anything. There's a real danger in that if you're reading these verses here with me. There's a real danger in that. The danger is, is we get so comfortable that we're not really hungry for the Lord. We're not really thirsty for the Lord. But Psalm 107 verse nine says this, God satisfies the thirsty. He fills the hungry. In Luke chapter six, verse 21, Jesus says this, God blesses those who hunger and thirst. So are you hungry this morning? Are you thirsty? Or are you just here kind of checking off a box on your religious to-do list? Maybe because you're an evangelical. You decided you needed to come and hang out with your people. Are, are, are you here just, you're kind of watching the clock right now? Like, hey, when is this guy gonna shut up? Like, I'm here to just kind of do my duty. Or are you hungry and thirsty for God and for his word? Like, which is it? Just be honest with yourself. Like if you're comfortable and you're not really that hungry and thirsty this morning, at least be honest with yourself. That would be a good first step to take so that you're not cast away with the rich. Because Jesus says it's the hungry. It's the thirsty who will be filled. Are you hungry? Paul said in Philippians chapter three, I consider all things a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've lost everything. Paul said, I want to know him. I want to know him. I want to know Jesus. I'm hungry for Jesus. Jesus, I need you. I need to hear from you. The hungry, the thirsty will be blessed, will be filled. Believing changes the way you think. And then finally, believing changes the way you feel. Believing changes you're feeling. It changes the way you feel about everything, the way that you feel about life, the way that you feel about death, the way that you feel about your circumstances, your, your situation. Mary's believing the word, believing the gospel produces this eruption of joy, of praise, of passion. This isn't just religious observance. This isn't just intellectual assent to facts. The gospel, the word of God has touched her heart. She's singing, she's crying. Some translations say about Elizabeth, she's giving a glad cry. Have you ever had that glad cry in the presence of God? You're, you're reading the word of God, you're, you're praying, you're, you're in a time of, of worship and there's just that glad cry. Has it ever touched your heart? Believing the gospel changes the way that you, the way that you feel. Mary says, I'm lowly, yet God has done great things for me. He's shown mercy to me. Like what? Mary, your situation hasn't gotten any easier because of the word of the Lord, because of the gospel. It's actually going to get harder. It's going to get tougher. Everything in Mary's world is about to get harder, not easier. It's a, she's about to get more uncomfortable, not more comfortable. And she says, you've been good to me. You've been merciful to me. Mary's circumstances haven't changed. They're gonna get worse. And here's what she says about God. God, you have done great things. You've shown me mercy. You filled me with good things. You've helped your servant. You've remembered to be merciful. You've made your promise. You've kept your promise to our ancestors. You've come through. We didn't deserve it. We don't deserve it. But you have kept your promises. Mary feels grateful. She feels thankful. Her circumstances have not changed. In fact, they're about to get worse, yet Mary feels grateful. She feels thankful. Why? Because she gets Jesus. She's got Jesus. And he's all she needs. 
She's grateful. She's thankful. She's got Jesus. What, what else? What else does she need? She, she has this attitude of, God, you, you, you owe me nothing, but you've given me everything. In Christ, Ephesians chapter one, I've received every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing in Christ is mine. What, what more could I possibly need? I've got Jesus and he's enough. Is Jesus enough for you? Or do you need more? Like, does your worship, does your commitment, does your faithfulness, does your gratefulness, your thanksgiving reveal that Jesus is enough or that he's not enough? Weeks ago when we were doing our, our, our series about David and we were talking about David and Bathsheba and, and, and that message where we were talking about and, and how the Lord comes to David through the prophet Nathan and, and says, I've done all these things for you. Was it not enough? And, and the answer to the question is, is for David, no, it wasn't enough. What, what you've done for me wasn't enough. And so I was seeking after and desiring all these other things that weren't from you because what you had already done for me wasn't enough. Has what God has already done for you in Christ and what he's going to do for you in Christ, is it not enough? For Mary, it was enough. God, what you've done for me in Christ is enough. You see, in this song, we see the gospel. It changes everything about the way you think and what you're excited about, what you adore, what you praise, what, the way that you feel. And it's in this song that we see this different way of thinking and in God, like a way of acting that we don't really expect. And, and here's kind of how we sum it up. Here's how the scripture sums it up. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He, he, he opposes the proud, like I'm owed something, but he gives grace to the humble. I, I don't deserve anything, God. I, what, what you've done for me in Christ and what you're going to do for me in Christ is, is enough. It's totally enough. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God rewards those who are hungry, those who are humble, but what we learn in this passage is that pride is your greatest enemy. Pride will always be your greatest enemy. No one walks with a swag before a holy God. Pride will always be your greatest enemy. Maybe religious pride, that you do all the right things and maybe other people don't do all the right things like you do. And so this religious pride reveals and kind of takes fruition in the fact that you don't really listen to other people. You don't empathize with people. You don't see your own inconsistencies. You aren't able to admit your own wrongs. Maybe you've got political pride where you think your party, your candidate is the way and the only way. And if you're not with my party or you're not with my candidate, then you don't really love Jesus and you don't really love God's word. You've got this political pride that exalts your position and puts down others. Or maybe you've got identity pride. In our culture today, we, we see the exaltation of gender identity, sexual identity, and, and not just living that way, but, but actually beginning to identify it where it, it's who I am. Like, that, like that's who I am. And the scripture says, no, it's not who you are. It's something you do, but it's not who you are. You're either a child of God or not. And if you're a child of God, that's your primary identity. We don't exalt any other identity over our identity as a child. That takes precedence, that identity takes precedence. Identifying with your sin or with something you do, we, we said this a few weeks ago, that's the bottom rung on the downward spiral of sin where you have idolaterized your sin so much that you actually begin to identify with it and say, that's who I am. Or maybe you've got material pride. You boast 
or you trust in the accumulation of your stuff. When Jesus said, what sorrow awaits the rich? Mary said, the rich will be sent away. So what, what good is there? What use is there in boasting in what I have? Pride, make no mistake, is your greatest enemy. Mary said, Jesus said, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. God will humble them. God opposes you. He opposes your pride. But the scripture makes us this promise, those who humble themselves will be exalted. Mary said, he has exalted those of humble estate. And so if you're here and you've been in your pride running from the Lord, then my plea to you is to humble yourself and come back to the Lord. Return to the Lord this morning in humility, recognizing who God is and, and who you are. Humble yourself before God and return to him. Or, or maybe you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus. Or maybe you're watching online right now. You've never given your life to Jesus because in your pride, you've said, I've got this. I'm going to do things my own way. I'm going my own way. And instead of bowing down to God, you've bowed up to God today. Hear God by his spirit pleading with you. Humble yourself before the Lord that you might be exalted, that you might be saved, that you might be rescued from your sin and receive eternity separated from or eternity with God in heaven. And if that's you and you've never given your life to Jesus and you want to humble yourself before the Lord today and give your life to Jesus, jump on our app, fill out our connect form and let us know that you're giving your life to Jesus. Mary said of this being exalted, this future work of God's son, where he will exalt those who have given their lives to Jesus again, is in this futurist, future aorist tense. Like it's happening, but, but it's still going to happen. And she's so certain that it's going to happen. She speaks of it, she refers to it as a past event. And so in the gospels, we learn about everything that God is going to do through his son after the life of Mary, through his teachings and his death and his resurrection. But in the scripture, we also learn a whole lot more about what's still yet to happen that God is going to do through his son for you and I that has not happened yet is still going to happen. And that is the return, the raise and the reign. Jesus is going to return. He's going to raise the dead and he's going to reign forever. He's going to return with those who have already died and. At the moment that he returns, the, the, those who are dead, their bodies are going to raise and they're gonna join. It's called the catching up in the sky with Jesus. Their, their dead bodies are gonna kind of come together with their soul. They're gonna have this resurrection, new eternal resurrection body. That, that, that return that's gonna result in that raising then kind of culminates in the reign of Jesus where he's going to reign forever. He's going to judge. It says the, the living and the dead, those who stand before him will either go eternity into eternity with him. Those who have not believed will go into eternal destruction. So there's some things that God through his son is still going to do. And my question is this morning, do, do you believe that they're going to happen like so much so, like, like Mary did, like as if they've already happened? Because if you have, it changes everything, just like it changed everything for Mary. Everything she believed that God's son was going to do that hadn't happened, she believed as if it already had. And when you have that kind of faith and what God is going to do his son, through his son for you, it changes everything. It changes your approach to life. It changes your approach to death, to faith, to contentment, to peace, to your worship. This, this belief, this kind of faith produces this deep boasting. It produces deep thinking and deep feeling that says, Jesus, what you've already done for me and what you're going to do for me in Christ is enough. It's enough. You are all I need. I deserved nothing but you've given me everything.
Would you pray with me? God, I pray that by your spirit, you would give us that kind of attitude, that kind of faith this morning that says we deserved nothing, but you have given us everything that we need in Christ alone. And he is enough for us. And so God, I pray this morning that the reality of the gospel, God would produce a deep boasting in us, a, a deep thinking in us and a deep feeling, a gratefulness, a thankfulness in us for Jesus. And so by your spirit, as we worship now together, God move in our hearts by your spirit that we might have an outburst of praise through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, 